Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, back to the book of Isaiah. And this evening we want to turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're looking uh, particularly at verses 3 through 5. Last time we looked at the opening uh, verses uh, of Isaiah, and uh, we are uh, going through this passage um, in a slower way because there is so much that is uh, needing to be uh, highlighted in these verses uh, together. But it is a a chapter uh, that opens up to us uh, the message of God's comfort. Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll read at verse 1 down to verse 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We all uh, look for comfort uh, in life. Uh, No one is going around saying that they don't want comfort or they don't need comfort. Every one of us looks for comfort. And there are different degrees or different kinds of comfort, Uh, short-term comforts that might aid us. But when we come to what Christianity is, Christianity is a message that the only true lasting comfort that we can find is in the Lord Jesus Christ that only in the gift of God can we find a comfort that addresses our full need and that is a, a, a gift or is something that addresses our need in an enduring way. And so it is with that understanding that uh, we come to the message of the Bible. The Bible is a message of God's comfort for sinners. What comfort is there in this life knowing that we are subject to death? What comfort is there in this life, knowing that life involves much misery and suffering? What comfort is there in this life when there is so much hardships? And every one of us is going to look for some measure or some place for comfort. And it is knowing God's purposes in Jesus Christ that we find a lasting comfort. And uh, last time we looked at the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 40 we highlighted that Isaiah was really dealing with a very transitional point in the nation of Israel. They had just been uh, defeated by the Assyrian army in a humbling or humiliating way. But Jerusalem is still holding on, barely. They're holding on, trying to survive. But as Isaiah is ministering to the people of God and he's looking ahead, he's making known to them that their humiliation is not over they're going to face with the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to deplete them. They're going to take everything from them. And the nation of Judah is going to be crushed. And they're going to go into captivity. And so it seems it goes from misery to misery for the people of God. But it's in that context that Isaiah brings this message of comfort, that in spite of their situation, God's purposes are not over. 
God is still at work even in through the messiness of their life and through the messiness of their situation. And God will bring about his purposes of mercy. And so here in Isaiah 40, it, it transitions to this message of God's comfort. And you remember how last time we mentioned how in those opening verses, it's really an announcement. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. Speak tenderly or speak to the heart. Speak to the heart in such a way that relieves one of the, the anxiety and the concern. Speak to the heart in such a way that it wins them over, that it's exactly what they needed to hear. And here is the message that her misery is over. That her sin has been pardoned. That what is won't always be. That there is going to come a great change. And that great change is that the, the warfare with their God, the, the, the rebellion and the problem of their sin will be addressed. There will no longer be this conflict with their God. Instead, their sin will be dealt away with. And so there is this message of comfort uh, that is announced to the people. But although the opening words of Isaiah 40 speak about comfort, the theme of comfort continues on, really, for the rest of Isaiah's prophecy. That really, it's just opening up this whole theme. And we see that being developed in the verses that follow. In verses 3 through 11, you'll notice a certain structure to what is being introduced under this theme of God's comfort. In verses 3, and then again in verse 6, and then again in verse 9, we're introduced to a voice. A voice that is crying, or a voice that is making known uh, God's purposes. And in each of those uh, phrases or verses, it is expanding on the message of God's comfort. And this evening we want to see that this comfort that was announced will be realized uh, by a great change that takes place. And the change that takes place will result in the revelation of God's glory. And so because the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed, we must be prepared to meet with our God. And we want to think about verses 3 through 5 this evening in those two thoughts. We want to think about uh, the, the command of God or the, the command that is given, the change that is going to take place. And then the conclusion of that command, the conclusion of that change. And so we want to think about the words that there is to be a preparation. And then secondly, that there is going to be a revelation. In verse 3, it says, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. There's a certain mysteriousness to what is going on here because we're not actually told about the speaker. It's just a voice. Uh, and there's a certain reasoning for that because what is at the forefront is not the speaker. It's not so important who the messenger is here as much as it is the message that the messenger is conveying. It's, it's what's in the foreground or what's in the focus that is really being highlighted. You think about when you might take a picture of something. You might zoom in on, uh, on a flower or something and you're taking a picture of it and what's around in the background might become less clear because what you're trying to bring into focus is the flower. You're trying to bring into focus what's in the foreground. 
And so certain things that are in the background may not be as clear. And here what is being highlighted is, is that what's really important is not, is not so much the messenger as it is the message that is being conveyed. It is highlighting something of uh, the, the work and the purposes of God. And so the, the message is of greater importance than even the messenger who declares it. But the voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It is in the wilderness that these preparations are to be made. And the word for preparation there is a word that means uh, to remove obstacles. It's the idea of clearing the way. Now, you young people, if you ever see uh, uh, a road construction or you ever see a new road being built, you know that before they build the road, they have to first clear the way. They have to first prepare the ground. And what are they doing? They know that they want to make the ground as smooth as they can, and they want to make the road as straight as they can. Because we don't want to be making sharp turns as we're driving. We don't want to have to go up and down a mountain. We want it to be smooth for us. And so there's a certain clearing of the way even before they start to put the asphalt down. They have to deal with that big hill that is in the way. They have to start dealing with the, the valley uh, that is in, in front of them in order to make the road ready. And here is the language that is being used. In the ancient world, it was a custom that a road would be uh, temporarily prepared so that when the king came, his journey would be smoother. And so before the king made his journey, there would be people going out preparing the road so that he would be able to come on a smooth highway, as it were. And so here, the emphasis is on the need for preparation. Uh, the landscape needs to be changed, and it will be changed after this work is done there is going to be a transformation. And so you think about even when the bypass was being done, the road looks completely different. Uh, the landscape looks different once the road is there. And here, uh, this language of preparation is being used. There has to be a work that is clearing away the obstacles and removing the barriers so that the highway is prepared for God. In a similar way here, there is uh, this uh, highlighting, this preparation that needs to take place for the coming of their king. But Isaiah isn't talking about physical land here. When he says, prepare the way, uh, there is going to be a, a highway out in the desert. Isaiah is not talking, or this voice isn't talking about uh, a physical land. What he's talking about is, as one person said, the moral topography the moral landscape. There has to be a great change that takes place in the hearts of the people. There must be a removing of the obstacles so that people are ready for the coming of their king. And so just as there's this big hill that is in the way that needs to be uh, dealt with, so in the same way in our own lives, in our own hearts, there needs to be a work that does away with those obstacles of our own sins. There has to be a removing of the, the hill of pride. There needs to be an addressing of even the attitude of despair, uh, the attitude of uh, hopelessness. 
that looks at one's life only through the lens of one's own situation. Instead, they need to be able to look at their situation unto God. And so here is this language that of a voice crying, preparation needs to happen. A removal of obstacles, of the sins and of the hopelessness and of the barriers of our own frailty and fallen nature so that people are prepared for what is going to happen because a great change is coming. And it is in the wilderness uh, that this is going to take place. It is in the wilderness, the place where God meets with his people, where this transformation is happening. Now we know, uh, as we read there from Luke's gospel, that John identifies himself as the one, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so in a sense, we can look back on Isaiah with all the answers. And we look at it almost more from the New Testament point of view than even from Isaiah's uh, text. We see it as John. John is the one who comes preparing the way. But ask yourself, how does John prepare the way? He is literally out in the wilderness. But what was he doing preparing the way? It tells us in Luke and in Mark and in Matthew as well what he was doing. He was preparing the way by preaching the need to turn from sin. John preached a baptism of repentance. John preached about the need to change from the status quo. That things weren't okay the way that they were. People weren't ready to meet with their God. They weren't ready for the king's arrival. And so John was preaching to them about the need to be changed because of the, the severity of their own sin. John preached uh, about their sin. He also preached about forgiveness. And he also preached about one who was to come after him. One who was of greater glory, of greater might than even he was. But John impressed the people with their uh, sin. He told them about the need to repent and to turn from the way things were because they had offended a holy God. They had broken God's law and that brought them under God's wrath. John warned the people about the wrath that is to come. John didn't say we all fall short and it's not a big deal. No one's perfect. John didn't say We're all in this together, and as long as we all live under this umbrella of being decent people, there's no concern. John warned the covenant community of Israel about presuming that they were okay. He warned them about the wrath to come and of thinking that just because they're part of the religious crowd that they're okay. He told them to bear fruits in keeping with repentance that they needed to be humbled of their pride, that they needed to be confronted with their own fallenness in order that they would seek God's mercy. What was John? John was a bulldozer. John was one who was leveling the ground. He was one who was taking out the hill of pride and showing people that pride cannot stay. John was one who was filling in the valley of despair by pointing them to a baptism of repentance, that there is forgiveness of sins, 
John was one who was telling them about the truth of their situation so that they would see their need of a savior, so that they would look forward to the king who was going to come, that they would be prepared to meet with him and to receive him with gladness. That's what John was all about. He was one who was shaping the landscape of people's hearts, teaching them about their sin, but also about teaching them to look to the king that would come and of the forgiveness of sins through him. And so it's only when people recognize the truth of their condition that they're going to look to the Lord for help. That's one of the reasons why we need to hear about the law. That's one of the reasons why traditionally churches have read from the law week in and week out because we need to hear about the truth of God's requirements. We need to hear about the truth of God's will. We need to be confronted with the reality of our situation, that we are sinners before a holy God. And so John is that bulldozer who is preparing the way for the Lord. So there is this command of preparation, and it is one that takes place in the wilderness, which is where the people are at. And it is one in which it is to lead them uh, to being prepared for what is about to come. So there's the command to prepare. But there's also the outcome of that command. And it is uh, this statement that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. As soon as the work of preparation is complete, the Lord will show himself and it will be a revelation of his glory. What does the glory of God refer to? When scripture talks about the glory of God, it's talking about what is the basis of our awe and our worship of God. It's talking about God in all his perfections. It's talking about God in terms of his attributes. It's talking about unveiling of God's greatness. Now, when we read in scripture, scripture teaches us that the whole earth is full of the glory of God, that everything testifies to God's greatness. Everything shows forth a basis for which we are to be in awe of our creator. Everything testifies that God is an awesome God who is worthy of our worship and our devotion. And yet scripture pushes us beyond that because it also says that God shows his glory in specific acts. Acts of faithfulness to his promises and acts that bring about his salvation. And so while all the earth shows forth the glory of God, and as we looked at this morning, the heavens above declare the glory of God. At the same time, there is this arc to God's purposes. His glory is revealed and will be revealed in a greater way. And so creation is actually manifesting God's greatness. But then God's greatness is shown in the works that he does after creation. Things like the Exodus show forth God's character and his greatness as well, his glory. But notice here what is being said by uh, this voice that the result of the preparations is, is that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. It will be revealed in a way that transcends anything prior. It is a glory that will far excel the glory of God revealed in creation. It will be a glory that will be revealed that shows forth God in all his perfections, 
in all of his attributes. And so here, this message is looking forward to something that uh, highlights why God is to be worshipped. What is it that brings forth this praise from his people? The glory of the Lord will be revealed in a specific way that brings forth uh, greater praise. And in the fullness of time, we know that God sends forth his son, who is born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. God the Son takes on human flesh and he is described as the radiance of the glory of God. He shows the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. That when Jesus comes into this world, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John says, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. But not only do we see the glory of God in the person of Jesus, but in his work as well, in what he does. Because as scripture goes on to say that although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself a servant. He humbled himself. And being in human form, he gave himself up to death, even death on a cross. And why was he doing this? To bring about the redemption from sin. That in him, our sins can be covered. In him, the misery of our fallen state ends. And so the work of Jesus, his experience of coming into this world, of assuming a human nature, of dying on a cross and then being raised to glory, shows us the glory of God because we begin to see the the glory of God's character in its brightness. We see the mercy of God. We see the faithfulness of God. We see the holiness of God. We see the righteousness of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished as a result. You see, there will be some that will scoff at the message of Christianity. This all sounds absurd. And yet, as scripture itself says, the God of this world has blinded them from seeing the light and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That, that what has happened is something that should drive us to worship. People need to be prepared for it, though. And if they're not prepared, if they haven't been transformed, if the moral landscape hasn't been impacted, they won't see the glory of God. Pride is still there. I am my own person, and I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own life. There is an obstacle that prevents them from contemplating what God has done. A person lives their life. This is all that there is. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. I'm just living my own. Because we're focused on our own, we are blinded from seeing what God has done in Jesus Christ. But here, this message of comfort is one that announces God will do something. He will bring pardon for iniquity. He will bring an end to the misery of human conditions. Well, how is that going to happen? There will be a great change. There will be a a transformation of the landscape. There will be a realization that we ourselves are in a bad situation. And then God will come. 
and he will save his people. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And we ask, how will God's glory be revealed? In a way that transcends creation, in a way that is better than even the Exodus. And as we were singing in Psalm 68, it's because God came and met his people. He marched with them in the wilderness. But in the incarnation, God physically came down. And he identified with us to the point of death. He took on a human nature and then gave his life so that we could have peace with God. The status quo cannot remain. We must see the need to be changed. But then when we see our need, we see what great change God has brought in and through Jesus Christ. Is that where you're at this evening? Are you so committed in your ways that you're not prepared to contemplate what God has done in history? You see, Christianity is not like other religions. Oftentimes, all religions kind of get thrown into the same pot. There's Islam, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, uh, there's uh, all kinds of religions. And Christianity is just simply one of many. But that's not true. Christianity is a revelation of what God has done in time. It is a work of God that brings good news to people who are in a bad situation that it is a message of comfort to those who realize they have offended a holy God. It is a message of God's work, not of man's work. It's not my own enlightenment that saves me. It's not my own works that save me. It's God. It is God who has come to deliver me from my own sins. And it is a message that brings real comfort because it's all in him. And so we see here the awe of God. If you are someone that is trusting in Christ, we have a reason to stand in awe. Not only because we know who God is in and through Christ, but as we contemplate the God who is, we stand and behold his majesty. God has shown mercy to me. God's promises have been fulfilled on my behalf. God has fulfilled all righteousness for sinners such as me so that I might have comfort in him. We sang there from Psalm 98. And I highlighted that in Psalm 98, it said that all the nations have seen the works of God. In verse 3, it said, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And here in Isaiah, it makes the point that all flesh shall see it together. When Christ came into this world, it was something that was done publicly before both Jew and Gentile. But as that psalm is highlighting, not only did God bring salvation in the old covenant through his works, through his rescue of his people, but it was something that was testified to the nations. And as a result, even the nations have heard what God has done. And in the same way, God's message of grace and comfort is something that all the world is faced with. Have we seen what God has done? Have we seen the glory of God in Christ? Isaiah here is speaking about all flesh seeing it together. Not only in the sense that 
It was something publicly done at the crucifixion, the coming of Christ. But it is something that all the world will live beholding. And in fact, it points even beyond Christ's first coming. Because as the Apostle Peter says, there will come a day when we will be glad and rejoice, when the glory of the Lord, the glory of God will be revealed. God's glory was revealed in the coming of Christ. But God's glory will also be revealed when Christ returns and all flesh shall see it together. And so we are called to see it by faith now, but it will be something that will be seen by sight when Christ returns. That the God of all comfort has brought us comfort in and through his son. The message of God is based on the fact that the Lord is coming and so his people need to be prepared for it. That's what John taught. Behold, one is coming mightier than I. And so you need to repent so that you might be forgiven. The message hasn't changed. Our God is coming back and we need to repent that we might be forgiven. But when we do, we have that comfort that our God is for us in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless us in Jesus Christ, that we would see in him the glory of God revealed, and that we would find a basis for having comfort in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.